welcome to another episode of PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. My name is Anne Mala and I have a PhD in English Literature. Together we deep dive into different aspects of PhD life and explore what it really means to do a PhD in the humanities. We are kicking season 5 off with a three-part series all about PhD productivity. And to help us crack the code of how to work smarter and not harder when we're researching, teaching and doing admin work, I'm very honored to have Jeff Sanders as a guest over the next three episodes. Jeff is a keynote speaker, productivity coach and author of the 5am miracle and the free time formula. He's also the host of the 5am miracle podcast, which has ranked number one in Apple podcasts in the self-improvement and business categories been nominated for six podcast awards and exceeded 10 million downloads. Jeff has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theatre and Psychology from Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. And he and his wife Tessa live in Nashville, Tennessee with their daughter Maisie and Puck Benny and they have a baby girl on the way. Over the next three episodes, Jeff and I will unpack the three biggest PhD productivity subjects. In our first episode, we'll talk about time management and dealing with distractions. In the second episode, we focus on what Jeff coined focus blocks of time to help us boost our productivity. And in the third and final part of the series, we will chat about how to say no and how to prioritize what's most important for you and your PhD. And I asked you on Instagram and Twitter what your PhD productivity questions are, and I will answer a couple of them at the end of the third episode. Productivity during a PhD is a topic that is very close to my heart because I very much suffered the consequences of not knowing how to properly manage my work in the first year of my PhD. So let me take you through my struggles and how I overcame them. We all know that academia isn't really like a job because technically you can work 24-7 and that has its upsides in fairness because you can pretty much pick when you want to work but at the same time that also means that you could potentially work all the time and I mean all the time just spend five minutes on academic twitter and I guarantee you that you will see a post from someone working through the weekend I'd call myself a fairly organized person I love to plan and schedule things and I just get it done but when I started my PhD I was overwhelmed by the amount of work that I had to juggle. I didn't have an office space for the first couple of months, so I didn't really have a separation of work and home on top of all of that. And once I had a shared office space, I would always take work home with me and then feel guilty when I watched Netflix at night over dinner with the papers I still wanted to read sitting on my desk next to me and staring at me. So exciting evenings here in my household anyways. Same in for my weekends and that ended in even more guilt. I didn't enjoy my quote-unquote free time anymore because of these blurred lines. And I think I was pretty insufferable at that time too. I could feel my mental health slip, my anxiety was skyrocketing, I wasn't sleeping very well and I never had time to go to the gym. I knew something had to change. I just didn't know what exactly. So during the semester break in my first PhD summer, I was searching for something that could help. And this something came along in the form of the podcast called 5am Miracle. 
We've talked about the show on the podcast before and listening to the host Jeff Sanders talk about all these different aspects of productivity completely changed my outlook on PhD work. Instead of trying to work all the time, I started to be intentional about the PhD as a job. I worked on my research, teaching and admin during quote-unquote normal work hours and I forced myself to never take work home with me in the evenings or over the weekend. And even though I technically had less time to work on my PhD, because I was being more intentional and smarter about what I did in that time, I actually managed to get more done than before. Changing these habits really took a lot of effort because I'd gotten so used to them and because they were part of that bigger work culture in academia. But after a while, my mindset started to shift and I tested and experimented with new ways of working and find out what worked best for me. And this is all thanks to Jeff's podcast and I learned so much from his show that I almost mentioned him in my thesis acknowledgements. I'm very excited to have Jeff as a guest for our introduction to productivity series. Jeff, welcome to the show. I am very excited to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here today. And I'm very honored to have you. And it's great to be able to share your productivity wisdom with our listeners, especially since you had such an impact on my own PhD journey. I also just want to say in person, thank you so much for making such a difference <laughs> on my PhD. I, I honestly, I don't know where I would have been without your podcast. That's awesome to hear. I mean, that, that's why I do my show. It's like, I, I love to have, you know, the opportunity for someone to learn and apply strategies and be able to benefit from that. I mean, you know, I personally benefited from learning a lot from other people. And so to be able to share that, you know, someone else is, is always awesome. Absolutely. And to kick things off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to become the productivity guru that you are? Sure. I mean, my story kind of begins with finishing school. And so in, when I went to my college, I studied theater and psychology, which was I had no plans to be an actor or plans to be a psychologist. And I was wondering when I graduated, what do I do with these degrees? And the best thing I, I discovered on accident was personal development. And so my very first job I got out of school was a door-to-door -door sales job, which is a terrible job for lots of people. I hated it for lots of reasons, but my boss was amazing and gave me the opportunity to dig into personal growth books that he, you know, forced me to read, which at first I was confused by. But then as soon as I began to read these books, was blown away and realized there was a whole world I did not know about which was essentially were people that were doing what I now do, which is writing, speaking, podcasting, creating content. And I saw an opportunity for myself to improve myself. I saw opportunities to change my habits, to change my goals, to take control over my time. And all of that led to ultimately start starting initially a side business with a blog that I then added coaching to at some point down the line. And then the podcast for me was a big kind of milestone marker about eight years ago. And then from there was public speaking. It was books, courses, I mean, all of these different avenues that I've been explored, all that stemmed from this desire for me to kind of dig into figuring out who am I? What do I like? What am I good at? What are my interests? And that I discovered along the way that I really liked productivity. I really liked to optimize my time to get more done and the more that I dug into that and optimized my own life, the more that I wanted to share that 
which is where my podcast comes into play because I share in lots of different ways how everyone can get more value out of the time you have every day. So it kind of snowballed into a full career, essentially, over a couple of years. Yeah, which was not the plan. Like it was, I did want to have a business, and I thought that it would kind of fall into place sort of with blogging and speaking, but the way that it actually unfolded was not a plan. It just kind of happened, and I'm, I'm glad that it did. Amazing, amazing. And uh, let's take a deep dive into our first big topic, which is time management. One of the big issues that a lot of PhD students have is boundaries. How important is it to have boundaries in place and how can we find the best system that works for us personally? And the tricky one is probably how do we ensure that we stick with it when things get a bit tough? Well, to that degree, boundaries are what help you when things get tough. So it's the, the boundaries are the solution initially, and they're also the solution as time passes by because it's the thing that holds you to your goals. It, the boundaries will hold you to the commitments that you said you would do. I think a lot of people have these you know, very common experiences where they will say, I'm going to exercise five days a week. I'm going to work on my business every morning for, for one and a half hours. And then two weeks go by and nothing actually happened at all. And the, well, why didn't I do what I said I wanted to do? And it's boundaries are a form of accountability. It's a form of guaranteeing the results that you want. And so for me, that question is what I'm always asking myself when I have something I want to get done is when will this happen? Where will it happen? What materials do I need when I get to the place I'm going to go? It's when you answer those very practical questions, then when the time shows up, you just do your thing and the work gets done and the results show up. Um, I like to use the example of going to the gym because when I go to the gym to work out, I'm wearing clothing designed for exercise. I've got my materials in my gym bag. I'm in a location that's surrounded by other people doing the exact same thing I want to do. So when I get there, I'm not going to read a book. I'm not taking a nap. I'm going to work out. Like that's it. And that's what we're looking for for our major goals is how do we like, how do we put ourselves in an environment where that's more likely? And boundaries help to establish that by saying, here's the start time, here's the end time, here's the location, here's all of these kind of guideposts that allow us to move forward in the direction we want to go. And then if we get off the path and we find ourselves distracted, the boundaries can help bring us back in line. And so we're always trying to establish boundaries that to keep us in line for our own goals, knowing ourselves well, because we all have our own tendencies to get off track for our own personal reasons. So you acknowledge what those are, and then you create a boundary to prevent those. And I think what you said there about the start and start stop time specifically apply to academia because there's a very toxic work culture that you could potentially work all right. the time, right? And I would get messages at like 3 a.m. Snapchats from friends and colleagues. I mean like, oh, I'm working on a conference paper. And I started to feel guilty and bad because I wasn't working all the time. So listening to you really shifted my understanding of, of boundaries. So what would you say um, to this comparison aspect when you see that everyone else is doing it and you're the, the loner <laughs> with the boundaries over here in the corner? <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because when I was in school, I had a friend who, when he scheduled his time, said, I will have classes and my school work time between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. and that's it which was really bizarre because all of everyone else, myself included, we would be at the library at 10 p.m. We'd be studying for a, you know, a, a test until 2 o'clock in the morning. We would be working whenever we just felt like working, and there were no boundaries. 
and he had very specific times he would work and the times he would not. And he got great grades. He was not as stressed out as the rest of us. And I saw this and thought, there is something unique about that. And I didn't apply those same strategies for myself until years later. But once I did, I realized that when you have that stop time, especially in place, you know that you have to get your most important work done before that end boundary hits. And so then you're forced to prioritize. You're forced to make decisions that otherwise you would just kind of lazily work yourself through and you would spend a lot more time on something that really did not need as much time. And so being forced to prioritize forces you to get the work done that matters and the stuff that doesn't fades away. And then you don't have to be awake at three o'clock in the morning when your colleagues are out there doing that intense kind of crazy schedule, you can be asleep and that's a better choice. And I think once you see the results of that, then you're not going to be as tempted to want to stay awake all night long. You're going to be able to say, well, actually the pattern I'm on is working really well for me. So I'm not going to allow someone else's decisions to, you know, negatively impact me if my system is working. That reminds me of something a senior staff member once told me, and he said, it takes as much discipline to take time off than it does to work. And I really like that. That just reminded me of that. Well, I mean, as a type A person, like I, I, I am now, and I, I love to drink coffee and work as much as possible. Stopping work is my biggest challenge. It's not starting. I can start all the time. I'm ready to go all the time. So being able to take a day off or to say today is over, I'm now going to go to bed. That is oftentimes difficult. So I, mean, I have an evening boundary usually where I say, for myself, it's 8 p.m. where that's when I turn off the phone. I turn off the computer. Like, it's, I'm not going to engage anymore. And if that's in place, then the day is over and that's it. And I think that once you kind of get to that place where you allow yourself the chance to stop, you then see the benefits. And that's when you realize I can't just be a workaholic because that backfires in so many ways. And you talked about prioritizing tasks with that more intentional use of time. So what do you think about multitasking? What's <laughs> your opinion on that? <laughs> number one, I am very personally bad at multitasking. And number two, so is everyone else. So this is the thing. People think they can multitask. They believe that it's possible and better. And it's just not true. We are best when we are focused. We get more done. We, the quality bar goes up. The quantity of work produced in a certain time goes up. Focus on a singular task is the most effective way to work. I mean, right now, I'm talking to you. This is a very focused, direct conversation. I'm not also trying to check email and eat my lunch. Like, that's not happening because it's not effective. And if I want to have a quality conversation with you, I'm going to talk to you, and that's all I'm going to do right now. And when you apply that to this, to everything else you're doing, you're going to see the results of that because you're not going to feel the overwhelm that comes from doing 18 things at once. You know, to that same degree, I don't want my to-do list for today to be a mile long. That, that the same impact happens and mentally. You see this long list and it's as if you're doing everything at the same time in your head, which is, you know, overwhelming. You don't want that experience. So you keep things as simple and as direct as possible and assuming that it's a prioritized list, well, then you're doing the thing that's most important, one thing at a time, in the order you said you would do it, and that's it. So it's fairly methodical, fairly boring in that sense, 
but also a lot less stressful and a lot less chaotic. And way more effective. And uh, great that you mentioned to-do lists because that ties into my next question. I was re-listening those episodes from a couple of years ago um, after I just found your podcast. And I listened to the episode with, I think it was Kevin Cruz. And, mm. and he was talking about how he scheduled every single task in his calendar. And I just want to get your perspective on what, is the best way to do to-do lists or priority lists for you? And if you have any kind of general advice on to-do lists. Yeah, so the way that I do things now is probably different than I did even a few years ago. Um, I keep, you know, I, I like to optimize my schedule and shift as needed. I, the way that I've been working these last few years has been where my calendar is the place where I put my scheduled events. So that's the place where, you know, talking to someone on a podcast interview, that's a very specific event. It's on the calendar versus making a phone call or a reminder to send an email, those are smaller tasks. And I don't need those to take up space on the calendar. So I have a separate to-do list. I use an app called Nozbe. It's N-O-Z-B-E. It is my task manager. So all of my individual smaller tasks for the day are all managed there. And so on any given day, I'm asking myself, you know, what am I doing this next block of time? I can look at the calendar and see my major events I have for the day. And then in between those events is the open white space. And then that space is when I might tackle the smaller to-dos that are on the to-do list. And so at the end of the day, my major events have all taken place and the little things kind of fit between those. And that's the general flow for most of my days. Um, if I have an open day with no meetings, well, then technically I can schedule whatever I want. And that's kind of, the, for me, the fun days because I get to really be creative on how my time is used. So it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of how you want to approach it. But I think having a dedicated app for a certain type of activity helps you to organize things more effectively because you see like items in the same place. That's kind of a sidetrack question now. Uh, you mentioned apps and you mentioned paper planners. So what is your preferred way of going about this? Because we had big discussions in the office surrounding, would you do this electronically or would you rather just write it down on paper? Or is the electronic version just another way to procrastinate? <laughs> Well, everything can be a procrastinating technique. I mean, if you want to be distracted by something, you can be. I have basically moved away from paper almost entirely. So the majority of my life is digital. The calendar is digital. The task manager is digital. My email obviously is digital. The only things I actually have on paper would be like my grocery store list for the food I'm going to buy this week. My wife and I share it. It's in our kitchen and we just write things down by hand. The only other place I write things down by hand is actually on my desk here. I have my top three goals for the day. So each morning on my little whiteboard, I write down, here are the top three things I want to have done by the end of today. And I physically write it down. And then as I'm done with those, I cross them off. There is a like psychological benefit to physically writing something down and then crossing it off. Like, you feel this emotional sense of accomplishment that you really, you can't feel that with a click of a mouse on a computer screen. I guess I don't, I don't like that as much. Like, yes, I can see the, the list there and it's done, but I want to like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. It's not, it's not the same. Right. So I think that <laughs> it really comes down to knowing what you emotionally respond to, how you can best organize the things that matter the most to you. I have plenty of friends that use paper planners and love them. Um, I shifted away from that, and I think my life is more efficient digitally for the vast majority of things that I do, but I'm not committed to that being the only way. There are a variety of ways to get things done. Looking at the PhD work in general, and you've probably seen that from uh, your wife's PhD, mm. uh, from listening to your episodes, I know that your wife has a PhD in education, I believe. 
if it was. Yes. Um, and worked full time. So she's an absolute rock star. I don't know how she did that. <laughs> and just looking at all these tasks and obviously there comes a feeling of being overwhelmed with that, right? So um, how can we free up time when we feel like we're drowning and there's no way out? It's like an avalanche of tasks and there's another marking of papers. There's another project. There's another conference paper to write. How would you go about managing that anxiety of being overwhelmed? Overwhelm generally only comes from one thing, and that's attempting to do more than one thing at a time or thinking you have to do more than one thing at a time. It's the same idea as multitasking, is that you're not trying to get to a place where you feel as though the avalanche is going to literally kill you because there's just an ongoing flow. It's more of the sense of saying, yes, I'll have work to do. Yes, there's work time. Not and, and the first thing I like to ask myself is, well, what can I cut from this? Because there are usually plenty of things that either don't have to get done ever, or probably more importantly in the world of academia, things you could do later. And that's actually more efficient because a lot of things we, we might say, well, I have to do this today. It's like, well, you probably don't. If you do it in a week, could you do it the night before and get it done faster? Because you'll probably spend less time doing it if the deadline is sooner. So what that is, is intentional procrastination. You are putting things off to the last minute for the tasks you know you can do quickly because oftentimes you do them ahead of time thinking we're being more productive. We're actually spending too much time on a task. So I'm trying to figure out for myself and for anyone who's in that position of having a lot of work, what's the most efficient way to schedule what I know I have to do, assuming that you've already removed the things that don't have to get done and put off the things that can be put off. So today's list of to-dos should be the things that absolutely have to get done today. And that's it. And if that's your list, it's probably a lot shorter than you think it is. And then if you have free time beyond that, you can then work ahead, which you would only do then because you know the day's most important things are finished. So the stress level then goes down a little bit and you can work a little more creatively. It's not nearly as intense. And then you don't feel like you're actually drowning in work. It reminds me of, is it the 80-20 rule that you can, that usually 80% of a task are done in 20% of the time and the yes. other way around that 20% of the task are done in 80% of the time. And it's almost like these tasks are like octopuses. You know how octopuses fit yes. into every container, no matter how small. It's almost like if you only have 20 minutes, you will get that task done in 20 minutes if it's not writing an entire PhD chapter. <laughs> Well, exactly. I think that we, and that's Parkinson's law, the, you know, the work expands to fill the time allotted. And so if you only have an hour, then you'll get it done in an hour. If you gave yourself three hours, you might spend three hours. And so in terms of efficiency, I'd much rather spend one instead of three. And I'm always trying to figure out for tasks that you, you fully understand, you know, you can do it a certain amount of time, repeated tasks you're familiar with. Those are easier to schedule. Now, if it's a newer task you're not familiar with, working ahead could be advantageous because then you can figure out how much time should this thing actually take. And then you can plan out and map your calendar out in a way that's more realistic to the time needed. And you touched on emails before and emails are the bane of all our existence. <laughs> uh, so how can we deal with them effectively? I don't necessarily hate email, but I think it depends on the perspective you take as to the role that it plays in the work that you do. So in, right. my, in my line of work as an entrepreneur, oftentimes like my best deals, my negotiations, my communications with my ideal clients, they're coming through email, so it's an important medium for me to be on top of. So I stick to inbox zero, so every single email gets replied to every single 24 hours, no exceptions. And I've stuck with that for 
well over 10 years uh, and it works for me. But there, I, I know plenty of people who work in, in, in industries where they get CC'd in a thousand emails a day. The idea of responding to every email every day is just ludicrous. So I'm not asking everyone to adopt inbox zero, but I think the real key to this is to acknowledge how important is email for your industry, for the work that you do. And then you can figure out how much time you need to devote to it on your calendar. And then especially once you get into the email, filtering what matters and what doesn't as quickly as possible, because there's a lot of noise in the world of email, whether it's spam messages, you shouldn't be CC'd on to begin with emails that don't require a reply, things you should just delete outright. So your goal is to minimize that inbox as quickly as possible down to what actually matters and then respond efficiently to that message and move on. And I think that what that really can play into here is have a timer, like literally say, I got 30 minutes, let's go and move. Because if you don't have that sense of intensity, it can feel exhausting just to reply to email every day. And I'd rather it be a tool that assists me in the work that I'm doing and not just this endless amount of nonsense that I have to deal with every day. Do you have specific times during the day and time slots when you check emails, like three times a day? Or is that kind of like an ongoing thing? You see one pop up and you just reply real quick. If I have, let's say, a focused block of time, I'm not going to respond to email during those. So I'll do it usually between my major tasks. And so that tends to work out fairly well. It's not necessarily three times a day. It's more probably closer to 10 times a day or something, but it's between the big activities. So it is an ongoing thing, um, but I'm not checking email 24 seven, you know, cause you can get to that. If you stick to inbox zero too intensely, you might feel like you have to look at your email every 30 seconds, which is not the point. So the goal here is just to say that you have a managed system that allows you to reply to what matters in a timely manner. And it may not be every 24 hours, maybe every 48 or something, but you need to figure out for yourself what is reasonable with your schedule and not to miss the important things. Because sometimes there's important stuff in email that needs your attention now, and so it can't be neglected completely. And so it's just as important as scheduling a workout or scheduling time for your, your most important task that day. It's part of life, so it needs to be on the calendar. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about all those students who emailed me 10 minutes before the deadline, just before midnight, <laughs> wanting <laughs> to know what referencing system to use. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not great at time management either. So it's like, do where, where do you, you know, draw those lines then as well? And how do you communicate those? Communication is the key to the whole thing, because email is just communication. But beyond that, it's also uh, telling other people you work with consistently how you operate best. And if you're not going to accept a last minute email from someone for something, then you let them know that way ahead of time and just simply say, if the email comes in 10 minutes before it's due, I'm not going to look at that. It's not happening. And when those boundaries are set ahead of time, then people will stick to whatever boundaries you've set for yourself and they will adhere to that because if they don't, there's a consequence. And so I feel like that's, that's the only way this is going to work because otherwise you become a victim to the system by then feeling the need to respond in the moment all the time, forever and ever. And then all of a sudden you've lost control. So we talked about main distraction number one emails and main distraction number two and that especially applied to us and I think to a lot of PhD students is a shared office space. <laughs> Uh, so usually PhD students don't have um, an office to themselves. Um, they either work from home or usually in a shared office space. So what is your advice on working in a shared office and dealing with the distractions that come with that? I have worked before in a shared office space and I know that they can be pretty pretty crazy to work in. Um, I've worked from home for the last seven years. And so working from home on paper sounds like a, a great place to be. 
it's also just as distracting, if not more distracting, than being in a shared office space. So I, my rule about office space is not really particular to where you are. It's about figuring out, kind of like that example before of going to the gym, it's figuring out what do you need to get done and what's the most efficient way to do it. And then the, the way to figure that out is to identify the distractions and write those things down and be very clear on, you know, I was trying to do task X, but I got pulled away because of a phone call, a text message, my coworker talking to me, whatever the thing was. And then you create direct solutions to each of those distractions one by one to say, you know, during this next focus block, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to physically put on over the ear headphones as a cue to my coworkers that like, I'm not talking to you right now. I used to, my last uh, day job, I had a, an office door and I'd put a sign up. So I was like, I'm in a conference call right now. I wasn't, but I, that's what I said just so they would go away so I could do my work. And that really comes down to figuring out how do I block the distractions that pull me away the most? And if that means I have a conversation with my boss, my coworkers, my colleagues to let them know, like, here's what I need and here's the times I need to work, that tends to work out pretty well because then everyone can be on the same page. I know companies that have very specific hours of the day where you're allowed to talk to your coworkers. They literally have alone time dedicated in the office to say the morning hours are alone time and afternoon is discussions and meetings. That way there's some dedicated space for the different types of work that needs to get done. And so it's figuring out for where you are, what the best like, culture could be, uh, knowing what you need to for your work and what your colleagues need for theirs. And as long as everyone's on the same page, it's way more efficient. Uh, but there needs to be a conversation around what that is and not just this assumption that because I'm next to you, I can talk to you all day because then it, it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, I can remember a lot of times when that actually happened. Um, and some people actually would put up just posters of like, just leave me alone. Yeah. I'm working right now. I yes. do not have the restraint to like not have a conversation with you. <laughs> So that's right. that's that's what some people in our office did for sure. So amazing, brilliant insights into the distractions and some of the time management aspects during a PhD, but also just in general for people who love productivity and who people who want to be more productive. And I think that's a great point to wrap up the conversation. Jeff, thank you so, so much. Where can people find out more about your work if they want to learn more about your philosophy of productivity and everything that you do? JeffSanders.com is the website and the 5am miracle podcast is probably the best place to begin to dig into the work that I'm doing. Uh, I do have a couple of books, the 5am the miracle book and the free time formula. So lots of the, you know, conversations here around productivity, uh, F bots, uh, panic attacks, all those things I discuss in lots of detail in those books. If you want to really get into the nitty gritty of productivity, uh, there's a lot there to dig into. Amazing, Jeff. It was an absolute honor to have you on the show. I'm still a little starstruck. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Now it's your turn. Let us know your favorite tools to manage your time and avoid distractions and join the conversation on Instagram and Twitter. As always, you can find the show at PhDPenningPod or write an email to PhDPenningPod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the show and consider donating to our Buy Me A Coffee page so we can keep creating content for you. I will see you again here in two weeks with our second episode in the Introduction to Productivity series. This episode of PhD Pending was written and produced by me, Anna Mahler. 
artwork by Jerome Kelleher. You can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at phdpenningpod or write an email to phdpenningpod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure to rate us five stars so others can find it too. You can also donate on our Buy Me A Coffee page so we can keep creating content for you. The link is in the show notes. Oh, 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 oh,